The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. It is not being consistent. At all. Period. So that was team president Jason Wright earlier today with Brian Mitchell and J.P. Finley on their radio show on 106.7 The Fan. Uh, The guys asked Jason if the team's considering going back to their old name, the Redskins. And you heard what he said. Quote, it is not being considered, J.P. said, at all. And he said, period, closed quote. More on this coming up in a few minutes, including the follow-up question and answer after he essentially buried Redskins as a future possibility. Because I thought the follow-up question and answer was an interesting one as well. Bram Weinstein will be on the show with me today. Uh, It's always good to catch up with Bram, and we've done it the last few years before the season starts. We'll get his thoughts on the upcoming year for Washington. Uh, We're a week and a half away from the opener uh, as Bram gets ready to call games again as their lead play-by-play radio voice along with London Fletcher and Julie Donaldson. The show today is presented by MyBookie. MyBookie's got everything you're looking for if you're ready to bet on football for the first time or if you're already betting football but you're looking for a second place to bet. Uh, I've mentioned this in the past, but if you're doing this the right way, you should have more than one sports book to wager with. You should be comparison shopping on point spreads, totals, money lines, pricing, etc. That's the way to do it. It all adds up. uh, And there is a fine line in many of your bets between winning and losing. And when you lose, you don't want to pay as much in some cases, my bookie's got fair lines, fair pricing. You get paid if you win. No worries about being taken advantage of on point spreads, vigs. No complicated process for getting your money out. Go to mybookie.ag. Use my promo code KevinDC. Making your initial deposit. It's important to use my promo code KevinDC because they will give you a welcome bonus on the house. And for a limited time, a free chip to use in the MyBookie online casino. College football week one underway tomorrow night. Uh, A good game tomorrow night, Florida and Utah. Florida is a a six-and-a-half-point underdog. 
uh, against 14th-ranked Utah. And the only matchup in Week 1 between ranked teams comes Sunday night. LSU is a a 2.5-point favorite against Florida State at a neutral site in Orlando. Uh, All of the season prop bets for the NFL are up. They've been up for a while. The Week 1 lines, uh, still Washington, a 7-point favorite over the Cardinals. The over-under is 38.5. That's the lowest total in Week 1. As I mentioned yesterday, Washington's a good buy if you're optimistic about their upcoming season. They're plus 300 to make the playoffs. Uh, and their season total on wins is still at six and a half. I mean, there's only one NFC team with a worse uh, over-under win total for the upcoming season, and that's their week one opponent. The Arizona Cardinals are at four and a half. Now, Carolina and Atlanta both are at six and a half as well, but if you like them to win seven or more games, you can bet the over, and it's even money on that wager. Uh, go to mybookie.ag. They're one of the reliable spots out there. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. Uh, by the way, um, the team announced today, uh, the Washington Commanders announced today, and Jason Wright did in that interview uh, as well with JP and Brian Mitchell, that they have standing room only tickets available for the opener. That game will be a sellout. You know, um, I remember some of you suggesting when I got excited uh, after the sale was finalized uh, that week one would be a celebratory event. There would be more excitement for the team, uh, more people at that game than have been at that game in a long time. Several of you pushed back and said, you're high. They're not going to sell out a game against the Arizona Cardinals. Well, they are. Um, They're going to sell it out, and it's going to be, I think, all Washington fans. Uh, The scene next Sunday at FedEx Field will be a scene that we have not seen a lot. Uh, It will be a scene that we have not seen, S-E-E-N, a lot in recent years. Um, And look, if they can win that game, and they should, uh, and somehow get off to a decent start. That Buffalo game in Week 3 will be a highly anticipated home game as well. You know, 0-2, and, and all of a sudden, you know, as we've discussed uh, previously, it's like the season's had a major buzzkill to it already. But if you beat Arizona and beat them handily and go to Denver and either, you know, win a game or lose a really competitive game with Sam Howell playing well, that week three game against Buffalo has a chance to sell out too. Now that now that one probably will include more Buffalo Bills fans in the crowd. Uh, before I get to the Jason Wright stuff, I wanted to just mention two things uh, about the team. Number one is they did uh, sign and announce 15 players to their practice squad uh, today. Included were Kaz Allen, the returner, the fullback Alex Arma. Um, They brought back Jake Fromm, as we thought uh, was a possibility, and Derek Gore, the running back. Um, brought back. So Jonathan Williams is on injured reserve. Derek Gore on the practice squad. Jake Fromm on the practice squad as the third quarterback. Um, And uh, they'll have, you know, 
on a week-to-week basis a chance to bring up Alex Arma if they you know, feel that they've got more of a need for a fullback or another tight end. And I, I mentioned this, I think, with Ben yesterday, or maybe it was the day before. I think Kaz Allen will end up getting a chance at some point this year to return punts and kickoffs. Uh, I know that they like him a lot, um, and uh, but for now, it'll be Dax Milne on punt returns, and I am assuming Antonio Gibson on kickoff returns. And, re- and remember the new kickoff rule, fair catch in the field of play inside the 25-yard line, and the ball goes to the 25-yard line. That'll be an interesting week one thing to observe. Uh, how are teams dealing with the new kickoff rule? I have suggested previously that I think squib kicks to the up to the up guys to see if they can handle it. Um, high short kicks to the up guys to see if they can handle it. Because even if they call for a fair catch, they still have to catch it. Um, if the ball's coming out to the 25 regardless, uh, you might as well kick it to the up guys and see if they can catch the ball. Um, Anyway, uh, practice squad uh, also included, by the way, Castro Fields. I I knew that they liked him a little bit, and I thought he actually played well in that first game. Uh, It included William Bradley King, um, uh, safety Terrell Burgess, guard Mason Brooks, who had a good camp. Uh, Yeah, those are some of the names on the 15-player practice squad. I also just wanted to mention this. So... At practice today, once again, um, no Chase Young, no Terry McLaurin, by the way. Uh, Chase Young is not practicing right now. And from what I've learned, there's another doctor's appointment coming up that is kind of a big one um, towards the end of this week. And, you know, they're hopeful that everything will be fine. But, you know, a stinger just by definition is a neck injury. And when you get into that area, you know, I don't know that all stingers are the same. And this one may not be um, the same. I'm not suggesting that I know anything that would indicate that it's more serious than uh, maybe anybody's led anybody to believe. I mean, Ron basically did not answer the question um, uh, about Chase Young's uh, injury yesterday. But, you know, it's it's tied to, you know, the neck, the upper, you know, shoulder and arm area, and it's nerve-related. You know, that's kind of the injury that it is. I'm not, you know, I'm not a trainer, I'm not a team doctor, but I think everybody understands, a, you know, a stinger is kind of a neck injury and it's neurologically oriented. It's like when you... You know, when somebody hits your funny bone and your arm goes numb, you know, this is more serious. Uh, but I do uh, believe, based on what I was told, that there is another doctor's appointment for Chase Young where they are hopeful he'll be cleared to begin practicing for the opener. The other thing, by the way, on him is that um, I was told that things have been different for him this summer that the approach has been different, that they've been very pleased uh, with the condition he was in, with just the overall um, you know, uh, uh, approach by Chase Young during training camp. I, I mean, Montez Sweat said it like a week and a half, two weeks ago 
Um, and I'm paraphrasing here again because I don't have the quote in front of me. But he said about Chase Young that there's just a, you know, more mature approach. Uh, and so that was good to hear as well. Uh, let's hope he's healthy. I think Chase Young, along with the offensive line and Sam Howell, are the three areas that we just don't know anything about heading into this season. And we're not going to know until they start to play games. And all three of those areas are significantly impactful to the final result of this upcoming season. Sam Howell, you know, being number one on that list. I actually think in some ways Chase Young might be number two, although they have players at that position. So I'm sure most of you would say offensive line, and I'll go ahead and say offensive line as well. They can't be as bad as they were um, last year and hope that the quarterback can overcome that. The quarterback will need in his first year of starting, even if he is as advertised, um, he's going to need everything uh, to come together uh, in terms of the players around him. And and a big part of that uh, would be the offensive line. But, man, I really hope that Chase Young is healthy. I hope he really is ready to go. It sounds like he was having a good camp before that Cleveland preseason game where he got injured. And imagine this defense with more playmaking ability on the back end with a guy like Emmanuel Forbes uh, and a big-time havoc-wreaking pass rusher on the outside. Uh, That could really elevate this defense, which I already think has a chance to be a very good defense, a top-10 defense again. But imagine that this defense ends up being a dominant playmaking defense in addition to just being really good. Uh, Chase Young will have a lot to do with that. But, um, again, the stinger, he's not practicing, hasn't practiced since you know getting hurt in that Cleveland game. And there's a late-week doctor's appointment that you know they are hopeful will clear him to come back next week and practice but you know these stinger injuries the way it was explained to me they can be a little bit tricky because they are nerve related um so fingers crossed that the news will be good on that and that next week they'll have uh you know all of their ammo uh for the opener against Arizona so Uh, To Jason Wright and his answer to to JP's question. Uh, I'm going to play the whole thing in its entirety right now. You'll hear the the setup, uh, the question, and then you'll hear the follow-up to it as well. Uh, And then I'll give you my thoughts. We've heard a lot of kind of... The, the old name has popped back up, right? And, and I know that you said everything's on the table under new ownership to consider perhaps another rebrand. What, what, every, everything is possible. But Brian and I have both said that I don't ever see a return to the old name. Is, is going back to the old name something that is on the table? It is not being considered. At all? Period. Gotcha. Is is a rebrand still out there, or is there just too much going on otherwise for right well, now? I think I think I think at that to that point you kind of nailed it. Um, uh, we have three big priorities for ownership. 
So the rest of Jason's answer goes on to describe what Josh Harris has described before, which is they're focused on the things that they can focus on and do something about right now, which is a focus on building a winning football team, a focus on improving the stadium experience, and a focus on re-engaging with the community. What you didn't hear Jason Wright say in that answer to whether a rebrand beyond Redskins is a possibility, you didn't hear him say it will not be considered, period. You know why? Because it will be something they consider, just not now in terms of doing anything about it in public view. New ownership knows how important a rebrand is to most of the fans, you know, both past and present. They're not going to blow it off. They're not going to blow us off. Jason Wright might want or hope that his rebrand sticks, um, but the rebrand is something not named Commanders will be on the table. Now, I've said this before. It's possible that they look into this, they do the research, and they come to the conclusion that it doesn't make sense to change the name. Now, I would bet that it does change, but it's possible that you know a branding consultant and a branding team and lots of research, lots of information, lots of you know uh, financial projections on everything, that they come to the conclusion that it doesn't make sense. I guess it's also possible that the team goes to the Super Bowl this year or the NFC Championship game this year, and the desire for the name to be changed maybe lessens a bit. But look, if they... Um, This is on the table. They'll do the work. They'll do the research. And if they do come to a conclusion that it doesn't make sense, or if they come to the conclusion that it does make sense, they're going to speak to this legitimate, honest effort of getting all the information and making a decision based on the information and what's in the best interest of the organization. Um, But they understand how important this is to a majority of their fans. Now, as far as Redskins being buried by Jason in this interview with JP and Brian on 106.7 The Fan, first of all, I do think, I have to hope, that he wasn't just winging it and saying what he believes ownership's answer to that question is without actually knowing what their answer to that question is. I hope that this is something that he knows to be true and that he was allowed to address it in the way that he did, which was publicly. So let's assume that he's not just expressing his own views, um, but that he's expressing the views of the organization, of the new ownership group, Josh Harris and co-owners. I mean, I'm hardly surprised by this. We've been talking about this for a while now. And I've said that it's just not something that I believe the league will allow, A, and B, you know, it's not something ultimately that will be in the best interest of Josh Harris and this new ownership group after paying $6 billion for the team to then have to deal with the controversy that would inevitably come even if they explore going back to Redskins. I do think that they know that it would be wildly popular with this fan base, but it would also bring 
roadblocks. You know, right or wrong, there are people and businesses out there that would be outraged by it, and the team would have to deal with it, just as Dan and everybody in that organization for years out there had to deal with it. You know, when when it was Redskins, doors will be shut on them, regardless of whether or not it would be right for those doors to be shut. And it just, you know, from this seat, as I've been saying, I just don't think they'll do it. I don't think it'll be worth it. And for the league, they'll get pushback. You know, whatever, it would be wildly popular with this fan base. I think we all understand that. And I think Josh Harris understands that too. But... The minority in this particular instance would be a pain in the ass to deal with. And the league, while they might benefit, you know, in a in a smaller way from uh, the fans being excited about the old name being back, they'd have to deal with their corporate partners, their corporate sponsors, which, by the way, this team locally would have to deal with as well. The whole thing to me is just a ship. That has sailed. I don't like it. Most of you don't like it. But I think Jason perhaps confirmed today, you know, the one thing that isn't on the table. Redskins. But a rebrand away from the Commanders, that one's on the table. But for now, look, um, as far as the table and what's being served, uh, football's being served these days. Because we are... Eight days away from the regular season. Yeah, uh, a week from tomorrow night, Kansas City and Detroit. Washington's opener against the Cardinals, 11 days away and counting. Bram Weinstein will join me to talk football after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show is brought to you by the Circa Million and the Circa Survivor Pools out in Las Vegas. My guest, Bram Weinstein, uh, it will be interested in this because I've entered both of them. Uh, the Circa Million, $6 million in guaranteed prizes. Five uh, games each week against the spread. At the end of the year, it pays the top 100 a million dollars to the person with the overall best record. And then the Survivor Pool pays $8 million to the winner or winners. Pick one team straight up every week to win. No spread. Uh, you can only pick the same team once 
per season. So $14 million in guaranteed prizes from the Circus Sportsbook and Casino uh, in Las Vegas for the Circa Million and the Circus Survivor Pools. The deadline is September 9th, September 9th, excuse me, at 2 p.m. Uh, to enter. And yes, as I've discussed, you do have to be in Vegas to enter as I was a few weeks ago, but weekly picks can be made through uh, a proxy from anywhere. Uh, so if you're not planning on going to Vegas, you'll just follow along to see how I do with these two contests. Uh, joining us right now is, as I mentioned, Bram Weinstein, the voice of the Washington commanders, uh, getting ready for his third season of doing games before we get to fourth, fourth, 20, 21, 22, 20, right. Fourth year. Good God. It feels like yesterday. After you got the gig and I had you on the podcast talking about it, and it was, it was during the pandemic. It was 2020, which is now three years ago, but, you know, this is the fourth season. Wow. Um, I do want to ask you about that. You know what? We'll start with that. So year four of doing the games, what's the journey so far been like for you um, as, you know, one of the 32 NFL radio play-by-play voices. Tell me about, you know, where you are now as a play-by-play person versus where you were when you started. Uh, Well, I mean, I feel way more comfortable doing the games. I hope that sounds that way, Um, which I thought would be the case. I thought the first year would take a little time. I didn't have extensive background in play-by-play. I was going to be learning on the job a little bit. And we did have odd conditions you know we there was nobody in the stadiums and we didn't travel to the road games because of the pandemic right. so we called the road games on tv so that was you know really adverse conditions to do that especially first go around uh but you know for me like uh like as the players would say the game has slowed down for me um i feel pretty good you know about my performance and um uh, listen it, it's everything i thought it would be you know our team it's you know, a little more unusual than probably the other 31 with everything that's been happening over the last few years. And then everything starts anew again. So, you know, not that that really changes much of what I do, but it is a big part of the storyline of the team. So I'd say that, you know, my role is probably way different than the other 31, just based on conditions of the organization. But, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I love it. You know, like I, I, I thought I would love it. You know, but until you do it, you don't really know. And I can't really describe the feeling. You've done play-by-play. Maybe you get the same feeling. To me, it's the closest thing that I've ever had to being in it. And I feel like I'm in it when it's happening. And it's hard to describe that. Like, I can't go to sleep after the games. Um, I'm so kind of wired after the games. And I love the preparation for it, too. I mean, I really, really take that very seriously. I'm going to start in earnest in the next couple of days especially now that the Cardinals are either going to use a guy at starting quarterback that they acquired a week ago or a fifth-round pick I've never heard of. So, you know, the preparation's going to start pretty soon, but I like that part of it. Yeah, I, you know, other than what you said at the beginning, which is it slowed down for you, and, you know, when you said, by the way, you can't sleep after games, weren't you always or aren't you always a bit wired when your radio show is over as well? I am. A little bit. I'm more, um, because you do the length of time I do, too, three hours. I'm really more kind of spent and tired, less wired, more spent and tired. Um, there's something about this because it's, it's live, it's 
you don't know what's going to happen. Whatever you expected, it probably won't occur. You know, you, you know, like we pre-plan what we're going to talk about and then react to news, you know, on a radio show. I could pre-plan everything and not have any clue what's going to happen. Like we could have storylines and they go out the window when someone throws a pick six on play three. So, you know, like, so to me, uh, doing it is, it is the all time high wire act. And I think that's what's so exciting about it. I feel like I'm, you know, performing live, like someone on Broadway or something like that's how I feel when I'm doing it. Like it, it's so locked in to what I'm doing. You couldn't turn my attention from anything else that when it's over, it's like you are completely wired from the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you said, um, you know, the prep, you enjoy that. I mean, tell everybody the difference between prepping for a preseason game with 90 players on each roster versus a regular season game. Big difference. Uh, yeah. The, the hardest part is really, you know, I just wanted, I, I just wanted, you know, have recall of the players' names. You know, and really what I've learned, and others have told me this, and what I've learned is to be less as concerned about the other team as I used to be. Like, right. I was maniacal sure. about trying to get to know their whole roster, but, like, does our audience really care that some third-string safety for the Bengals broke up a play? You know, no. So, like, I've, I've alleviated the concern of I really have to know their roster the, the way I would know a regular season roster of the opposing team. But I want to know storylines about them. But the majority of a preseason broadcast is really storylines of our team. And then every once in a while you get lucky. Like that Baltimore game was actually really fun. Yeah. You know, and had had something, had some, you know, had a little bit of meaning attached to it and felt like a coming out party for Sam Allen. Had a really good ending. And that stupid streak was on the line. So, you know, like there were, that, that was the, probably the most fun preseason game I've ever been a part of. Uh, it was, uh, you know, and I, I said that, and I'll ask you the question here in a moment, but but I don't want to lose this this thought because you said it's slowed down for you, um, you know, here entering your fourth year. And that's, you know, something that uh, only comes with doing it, right? I mean, even what yeah. we do in talk radio, like you can't get to the point where you're comfortable and it slows down without actually doing it a lot. But other than it slowing down eventually for you as it has, what else was hard? What what was the hardest part? Um, you know, uh, getting my energy right. I, I actually talked to a lot of play-by-play people that I respect, some local, some national um, some of the other NFL play-by-play guys were actually uh, preemptively would reach out to me and be like, you know, welcome to the club type of thing. And if you have any questions about, you know, about anything, because we've done it a long time, we're, we're all ears. Like Jerry Sandusky of the Ravens has been great. Mike Keith of the Titans has been great. Um, Nick Mixon, who recently retired at the Panthers, was great, especially when they, you know, we hired Ron Rivera. He was in my ear a lot about right. Ron Rivera. Um, and they've all been really helpful and great. And, you know, for me, like, I get, you know, I'm into it, you know, I, and I think that's good. Like, I, I want to present passion, you know, because I am passionate about it. I, I've said this a number of times. If it ever doesn't feel that way to me, I'll quit. Like, because I would rather, like, I think that's what the team deserves, is someone who's passionate about what they're doing. And so I feel that way, and I internalize it, and it comes out. And I think at first, 
you know, I think my, I needed to learn to moderate my energy. You know, like that third and seven catch in the first quarter, it's a big deal, but it's not the same as the one in the fourth quarter in a 13-13 game. Um, punctuating certain scores, uh, making sure that I really reach the high I want to reach on specific plays like Terry McLaurin's catch, you know, at the end of the Indianapolis game, right. things like that. Like, I think over time, you know, you kind of learn and, you know, I am – very self-critical. I listen back to everything I do, and I try to learn from it. And then I like to listen to other people, see how they do it, you know, see are there ways that I could incorporate some of the things that they do. So, but I think that's a process over time. Like, it, I liken this to when I went to ESPN, it was on SportsCenter. I'd never done highlight shows before. I had to learn how to do it, and you really have to learn how to, you know, do them in a way that sounds good, not fake, uh, get your energy right, you know, not sound, inorganic. Like, that stuff takes time, too, and I agree with you. And all of this, it takes reps. And now that I'm in, you know, year four, I just feel more comfortable. I'm not suggesting, like, I'm perfect at it or anything like that, but I feel more comfortable doing it. I feel more comfortable in my skin doing it. I'm not so kind of hyper during the game. I've calmed down, and I think that that's a good thing. Uh, I think it definitely um, it, it definitely is apparent. And you you and I talked about this, and we've talked about it before. Um, you know, the one thing that I've always said about you, and I think you know there there are a couple of others that we've worked with over the years, but you're a professional broadcaster, so you were going to figure it out um, because you were going to be professional about it from the jump, which you have been. Uh, by the way, um, you know you've also had the challenge. Larry did as well. Um, Larry actually had more than a three-man booth um, because yeah. Larry had three people, including somebody, you know, including somebody on the sideline. Um, so that is something. I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this. D- is Washington the only play-by-play or the only broadcast booth with three people in it? Uh, I don't know. I have to. I'd have to look around the league. I'm not totally sure. But that's it's a challenge. But that's point, a challenge. It is. I mean, like, because I want everybody to get their voice heard. Of course. You know, it's important for me to set them up. So we talk a lot about it. Like, Julie and London and I talk about a lot about this. Like, essentially, it's it's more when I talk to them, we all know what the storylines are going to be. Like, that doesn't really need to be overly discussed. But each of them have their own, you know, conversations or insights that they've had from talking to the team or the coaches. And I ask them to not to tell me what they're going to say, but just to tell me when something pops up with a particular player or a particular scenario, screen game, whatever it may be, just flag it for me so that I have a note to get to them. And because I want to try to find a way, because there's the natural game, the progression of the game, and we're just going to react to the big moments of the game. Uh, but I want to give an opportunity so that everybody gets heard because, you know, frankly, like, Sometimes it will be hard for Julie to get in because the natural reaction to any play is London's going to break it down. And so we, we want to be cognizant of that, and I think we are. So, you know, I, like there are probably times that, you know, they, that either one of them may feel like they wanted to say something, couldn't get it in. Um, and there are a lot of times where, you know, I'm kind of looking at them like, you've got to give me my time to set up the play and get out of the play and make the calls correctly. I'll get out of your way, but you've got to give me that opportunity to set it up. So that's, that's a balance, and it's live, so it's never going to be perfect. But I think we've done, again, year four, 
we've learned from each other and it's getting better and better at understanding when like it's everybody's turn right um of course uh you can uh hear bram call the games uh starting on september 10th he's done the preseason games too um but the regular season uh kicks off september 10th and uh and he's the play-by-play voice with London Fletcher and Julie Donaldson um, alongside. Uh, follow Bram on Twitter at RealBramW uh, and listen to Bram's uh, uh, podcast that he does with John Kime, uh, Empire Media, uh, which is Bram's business, um, is the, uh, I guess you would call it the publisher of that podcast. Is that the right way to describe it? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I call it, yeah. Sure, okay. why not? Um, yeah. all right. I'm also on the radio. I know I'm a competitor, <laughs> but I am on the radio. He is also on the radio uh, every yeah. day. Um, we're, all not right. on the sa- we're not on at the same time, so, you know. Yeah, no, we're not. Uh, we're, no, we're not. You're on in the afternoon. I'm now on, by the way, yeah. in that perfect time slot, as you know, is oh, kind yeah. of mid-morning, early afternoon. Um, the dream. The dream. The dream. You never it's, get up too early. It's, you have your whole day. It's, it's amazing. A, it's a great. It's a great time slot. All right. Uh, but then again, I do the podcast afterwards, so I'm here anyway. Um, so you mentioned the Baltimore game, and it was an entertaining game as far as preseason games go. And it just reminded me that I, I talked about this last week after the game. Somebody sent me this tweet and said, so, Sheehan, you remember, you know, you probably have a list of the greatest preseason games uh-huh. in franchise history. Where does this one rank? And I said, no, sorry to say, I do not have a list of the greatest franchise uh, preseason wins in history. In fact, you know, I, I couldn't even remember one of the Babe Laufenberg games. I just remember Babe Laufenberg did some cool things in the preseason. The game to me that is memorable, and it's the only one that comes to mind, is Osaka. That's the one that comes to mind, yeah. and I actually yeah, yeah, yeah. had Steve Spurrier on the show in the spring, and, and he talked about Osaka uh, for like five minutes. But anyway, is before Monday night uh, against the Ravens, a week ago Monday night, was there a, a game other than Osaka that you actually remember from the preseason that was memorable? Not really. Yeah. Um Last year, I liked that we played one of them at one o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> and hoped that we would just do that more often. Like that was that was my takeaway from last year. The Osaka one is memorable for so many. Well, one because we were in Japan. Two, it was Spurrier in Japan interacting with the Japanese media. Three, he thought scoring a lot of points with Sage Rosenfeld <laughs> meant something. Like there was there were so many weird aspects. That four, we had to keep a player who was never going to make the team. Because, you know, you brought in an international player as kind of part of the program because Steve Mariucci kept his player because he actually ended up being good. So we felt embarrassed if we left our guy in Japan. So we had to take him back with us. Like, there were so many Who was that like, little things from that one. Huh? Who was that player? Uh, I forgot his name, but he was a wide receiver who probably ran a 6 <laughs> 40. And, uh, you know, they had this, like, program yeah. where – leading up to the international game in Japan, a Japanese player who had played over there right. would practice with the team during the summer. Well, I practiced with the 49ers made the team as a special teamer. And the guy we had, we didn't want practicing because we thought he was going to get hurt. But then when we were over there and they did a press conference, Mariucci announces the guy's coming back with us because we think he's going to make the team. And Spurrier like, was embarrassed to say we weren't bringing our guy back. And said, well, he's got a chance, too. 
and they put him back on the plane and flew him back. And a day later, they made him fly back to Japan after they caught him. <laughs> I don't, God, I don't remember that. That's hysterical. Yeah. You know, when I talked to him about this game and I played it back, um, uh, last week, the the portion with Spurrier talking about Osaka, he said, "Well, you know, they I, I found out they they didn't play their varsity." <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like, what do you mean? Like, did you really think that they would play their varsity? Um, because if you recall, they played them in week three of the regular season at Candlestick and got absolutely thumped. Um, yeah. Like they couldn't move the football, couldn't score, and you know they put up 400 yards and 38 points in Osaka. Um, there are there are so many stories from that week. It was the the best preseason moment. The, I, I can't I can't tell the the stories I would have to do now because I'd have to do a terrible accent to do them, and I don't want to do the accent to do them. But I will tell you. Like there were Japanese reporters at training camp, you know, leading up to it. Wait, hold on. Were you there? Were you the there? I was covering the team. So the you, so yeah. I, I, I forgot about that because this is 2002. So you yeah, were already at the station as the beat reporter covering the team, and you were in Osaka. Because yeah. I wasn't yeah, at the station I, at that I point. The, I was on the team plane and went to the game. Okay, so so tell so let me hear some of the stories. So leading up to training camp, you know, there were Japanese reporters in, we were in Carlisle, I think, if I remember right, or I don't know. We, I think so. I feel like we were. And uh, there was Japanese reporters, you know, covering the two teams, like leading up to the game. And the one that was from like one of the major networks in Japan that was there all week, like she was dressed to the nines every single day at training camp. It was, it was crazy what she was wearing, like like the gilded high heels and extremely short mini skirts and like, like, like things you would not wear to a football practice. Right. So all the guys were like happy to talk to her. Right. And we had Danny Werfel on the team and she went up to Danny Werfel and I won't do the accent because I'll just get in trouble. But she said to him, the question she said to him was, she goes, you were in college. You were really, really good. You won the Heisman Trophy. Why in the pros are you not good player? And I, <laughs> I almost fell over like when she said it to him and to see him try to explain why he's not a good quarterback in the NFL was one of the funniest things I've ever seen and then we went over there and they had a press conference you know with all the Japanese media and they had interpreters and the interpreters you know like Spurrier does this folksy stuff right and they asked him something about like what's your game plan and he said we're gonna he said something spurrier like we're gonna pitch it around or something like that and the the interpreter said something and then looked at each other. The media was confused. And then they said something else, right, in Japanese. And the whole room started dying laughing. So I like, have no idea what they said Spurrier said to them. Right. And the interactions that he had with the Japanese media the entire week was comedy. Like, it was straight out of the office. It was unbelievable. That's hysterical. I mean, I don't. I do, I just remember the game, I, and I can't believe I didn't consider that you were uh, covering the team. What year at nine eighty did you start covering the team? Was it that year or was it earlier? Norv's last season. So, t- so two thousand. The first full year under Dan Snyder was my first year covering ninety nine. Yeah, uh, or two thousand. Yeah. Uh, two thousand. Yeah. Davis landed on a helicopter. North Turner got fired at seven and seven. Yeah, that was it, mm. or whatever it was six and six and seven, something like that. Yeah, three games left. Yeah, that was my first season. That was after your so your, had, your days at. Yeah, our... I had I had all the tumble. I had North last season. Marty Spurrier Gibbs. 
I went to ESPN after Gibbs last season. Yeah, right. When you and I were together with Red Zebra and you, you took off for ESPN. But um, I was going to say that your first season followed a very esteemed career at all at our alma mater, Channel 21 in Montgomery County. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was with our good friend. Um, Brandy Sims. Brandy, yeah. Um, I just saw him. I went to Darren saw... Haynes' goodbye party, and I saw Brandy. Yeah, Sims I saw there. him yeah. recently, too. Brandy was such a good guy and still is a great uh-huh. guy, by the way. Uh, yeah. All right, let's talk some football. We'll do that with Bram right after these words from a few of our sponsors. This segment of the show brought to you by our good friends at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street Northwest, where you can get a cigar for sure. But did you know that Shelley's has one of the great food menus in the city? Among the choices that you have, how about lobster bisque as an appetizer, bacon-wrapped shrimp for dinner, key lime pie for dessert? One of the best kitchens in D.C. is at Shelly's Back Room. A good meal and a good cigar, the good life. Find out more at Shelly'sBackRoom.com. All right, Bram continues with us. Let's talk some football. Let's talk some Washington football team. And I want to start with your hunch, your opinion before the season starts. Will Sam Howe be able to do it? Uh, Define do it. What do you mean by that? Uh, Prove that he's a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. Yes. Yes. Uh, If the baseline is he is likely an average quarterback, um, then yes. Could he be better than that? The answer is yes. Do I think, I, am I delusional to think he's Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes? No. So uh, in year one with a new offense, year two for him, but year one playing, new offense, and obviously a lot of pressure on a lot of people. Um, there's a lot on him, but I haven't seen him crack under any kind of pressure whatsoever. The thing that really stood out to me in camp watching him was, as the coaches like to put it, he doesn't stack bad days. And I didn't see a lot of that. Like, they're early in camp, you know, especially like when Rivera said the stuff about the enemy and guys were wondering what's going on here or however it was phrased, the foot-in-the-mouth week. Um, yeah, with the enemy. It was clear that the offense was not functioning exactly the way they wanted to, and the enemy was loud, and you could hear him talk about it. Uh, but things changed. The weirdest part about the foot-and-mouth week was that's when things had already kind of turned, and I think Rivera just wasn't clear and communicated. He, he meant it to be a positive, like things have actually turned a quarter. And if you were watching the practice, you'd see that. And with Hal, um, from what I've seen so far, he's going to be the most accurate passer they've had here since Kirk Cousins. Um, he definitely has acumen for this. The coaches love him. His teammates really like him. I've seen competitiveness out of him now. I was wondering about his personality. The second that he's a little bit of Heineke, like he's kind of to himself, down to earth, kind of a bro, maybe more laid back. And then all of a sudden the game turns on and it kind of comes out of him. So he's like me on game day, gets wired. Um, so I, I think I am, I'm, uh, I'm optimistic about him. I see the skill set, uh, but I don't want to put too many expectations because who knows? And the reality is, I think their biggest weakness could be their offensive line. That's going to have a lot to do with his results. So yeah. let's see what happens with what's in front of them. But I do feel like the baseline is good and hopefully higher than that. I don't see bad. So I'm, I'm excited about that. 
So, I mean, when you say baseline good, you said baseline average before. So if the over-under yeah, for him this yeah, year like, is you know, average, it, you know. Yeah, middle, like, if I told you he's like 15th in the NFL, oh my God. to me that's pretty good. You know? I, I would take that and run with it right now. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I think the, I think he could be that, like maybe a little bit better, you know. But I don't I don't want to put more expectations than that on it. I just I don't see bad is the point. Like I don't see something going completely sideways with him. Well, if he's fifteen or sixteen, and you believe he's a top half of the league quarterback, right around there, worst case, then I'm assuming you think they're going to have a pretty good season. I do. Yeah. Well, I think that their defense is. I think their defense has the makings of it was good last year. I think it could be difference making because of playmakers and speed on the back end. You know, some of that will have to do with Chase Young was coming back. Is he going to look like Chase Young? And we're already having questions about whether he's playing in week one. So, you know, like, so answer me that stuff first. Uh, but I love the defensive line. I think they're, it's the right time. It's finally kind of come together at the exact right time. They've got two motivated ends who are playing on contract. Their defensive tackle pairing is among the best in the league. Uh, John Allen, at points in time last year, was best at his position. Um, I do think that linebacker will be something to watch, for sure. I don't think they're going to be playing very many of them. But what I'm really excited about is the speed on the back end. And if the line and the pressures uh, do what they're supposed to do, I think they have an opportunity to not just be a good defense, but one that actually gets turnovers. That was what they did not do a year ago. They're third in yards allowed, and they're 26th in turnovers. That doesn't match up. So they can stop people, but they can't get the ball. Hopefully this year they get the ball. So I, I believe their defense is going to be very, very good. Baseline good and potentially great. So I think take some of the pressure off the offense. And I look at the skilled position players and I go, you can win with that. So if Hal is a middle-of-the-pack quarterback, then how does a top-five defense with a middle-of-the-pack quarterback not be right there in December for a playoff, for a playoff first? Yeah, I agree with you on, on the defense for sure. And I, I think if you're right about Sam Howell, this is a team that competes for a postseason berth. I mean, you know, I've said this a million times. They were 8-8. Eight, eight, you know, they, were, they, they went 500 last year with Taylor Heineke and Carson Wentz at quarterback. They were, you know, bottom, you know, quarter of the league or, or worse uh, at that position. And if they've got a top half of the league quarterback or right around that, uh, I think the defense has a chance to take a big step up uh, as well. Um, so... I'm I'm assuming because I, I was going to ask you the unit, you know, the player, um, the whatever that you feel the best about heading into the season is what you would say the defense, but maybe more specifically about the defense, what the defensive line. Yeah, like I am, I don't have questions anymore. I think you know they spent all these assets to get these you know top tier talents. Every year there's been some question about one of them. And maybe that still exists for Chase Young and to a lesser degree on Montez Sweat. Albeit, I think he's been very good for them. He just hasn't had numbers or finishing plays that they're hoping to get out of him. But I think he's been very good for them. Um, And that, you know, if he has big numbers, he'll put them in a position to have to make a choice about how much money he's going to get. And if he's a very, very good player that has eight sacks, they're going to have to make a choice on that too about whether you're paying that person 20 to 25 million a year, which is what he's going to be in line for next year. So they got a lot of questions about it, but it's lined up with, I know what Allen is, I now know what Payne is, I know what Sweat is, but I do think the ceiling's a little bit higher, and if it is, um, 
Chase Young bringing just about anything to the other side or something resembling what he was pre-injury, they have what could be the dominant unit we thought they would have for the last few years. But I feel like I, what I feel like is most of those questions are, are answered now. I feel secure in them. So I feel like that is their best unit. I felt for a couple of years that unit will take them as far as they will go. Um, but what is, you know, what, what's really what makes me most optimistic about it is the speed and interchangeability of the back end this year, I think has offered them opportunity. You'll notice that Jack Del Rio played the starting defense for one drive the entire preseason. We talk all the time about how offenses play vanilla and they want to hide what they're doing. I actually think the defense tried to hide what they were doing because they're going to have a lot of packages. They're going to be surprising and they're hoping to catch people off guard early in the season. Uh, you mentioned the, the O-line. Would that be the unit or maybe the linebacking core that you feel the least confident in? Or is it, a, or is it something else that maybe not be in, that isn't on the roster? Uh, I'm most concerned about the offensive line. I'm hoping that for all the reasons that we talked about before, that the linebacking core, if it is weak, um, can be masked by all the people around them and that it won't expose them. Um, but I am worried about that unit on defense. Of, of the three you know, units, that's the, that's the spot where I think that they are they're thin uh, and they're still kind of a work in progress, especially Cody Barton and Jamin Davis together. It's a work in progress. So I'm waiting to see what that looks like. But they're so – they interchange people like Curl, potentially Martin, potentially Forrest, potentially Butler, where they're kind of pseudo-linebackers that I keep feeling like whatever is the problem there, I think they can figure a workaround to make it work in the defense to be functional and be very good. The offensive line, to me, is the biggest concern coming into the season. Last year I was very worried it would be a weakness. It was. Uh, this year – I'm hoping it's not a weakness, but I have a hard time buying it's a strength. So I'm hoping to be proven wrong about that. So I would go with I need them to be adequate, and that's what I would hope is going to be the case this year. How much of an upgrade is Eric Bieniemy as the offensive coordinator? Uh, I think it's tremendous. Now, we'll see. Um, also, to be fair, uh, I'm watching Sam Howell you know, look extremely accurate in practice, and last summer – Scott Turner, not by his choice, had to coach a guy who needed to be fixed and was throwing screen passes at people's feet and into the stands. So I want to be fair to Scott Turner here. The person who was chosen to be the quarterback for him last year needed a lot of work. And the person that's chosen to be the quarterback here clearly needs a lot of work, but in a very different way. And I don't feel like there's a confidence problem. So I I think they're, they're different scenarios. That said... I mean, the coaching style is not even remotely close to one another. Now, you know, like I'll have to leave it up to the players to determine which one they like better, but I do believe that there's far more, and it's obvious, accountability uh, for one another, accountability to the coaching staff. There is an intensity to it that is very, very different. And frankly, when you're scoring 18 points a game with the skill position group that they have, that's unacceptable. So I think that this is, he is, represents to me, the biggest off-season addition that they've had. He also has a tremendous amount to prove in a prove-it year. He chose this, though, right? Like, he chose, he chose to come here under this scenario. So I'm not, you know, I don't want to put him in like, oh, he's stuck in some situation. He chose to come and do this. So, but I, I, I think from what I've seen so far that they will have a more experienced, 
explosive offense than they've had. Uh, but it will come down to whether the offensive line can protect Sam Howell and give them a chance to do the things that they think they can do. Um, receptions, receiving yardage, touchdowns receiving. Who leads the team in each of those three categories? Uh, I need to know the answer to how serious Terry McLaurin's injury is to really answer that. Let's, let's assume he's to... healthy week one and plays 17, and so does Jahan Dotson. Uh, I think Dotson and McLaurin will have a similar number of targets and catches. Dotson seems to have more of a flair for scoring, so I'll believe that that's going to be the case. If you watch the preseason, Hal seems to look his way when he's in trouble, which is always a sign of that's kind of his guy. So I'll go Dotson, you know, probably close, you know, close with McLaurin. I think they'll both be heavily targeted receivers, but Dotson, you know, probably... I'll give Terry more yards and more catches. Dotson, well, maybe not. Dotson, Dotson more touchdowns. Uh, Terry more <laughs> catches. Yards will be very close. All right. Uh, you, sp- you can split the difference and call that a draw. Who leads the team in yeah. sacks this year? Oh, boy. I hope it's Chase Young. <laughs> God, do I hope it's Chase Young. Uh, if it's not, um, then it's Probably Montez Sweat, but again, this is another one. They're not saying, you know, what Chase Young's situation is. Right. So until I really know the answer to that, it's kind of hard to know, like, what his season looks like. But I'm going to, I mean, Deron Payne looks faster than he did a year ago. He had 11 and a half sacks and didn't have Chase Young to work with on the line. So, but can he replicate that? 11 and a half sacks is a lot for a defensive tackle can't see him replicating that with the motivation of contracts for the two ends it's got to be one of them so i'll say sweat so in the open to the show today i talked a little bit about chase young i'm i'm wondering whether or not there is a reason to be concerned um you know not all stingers are the same uh and they are you know uh, technically a neck injury uh, is there any reason that we, you know, should be concerned about Chase Young right now? Not yet, other than Rivera is not answering questions about it. Um, that said, like, typically a pretty good sign that things are okay is when you actually get dressed and warm up, even if you're not playing in a game. And he did the other night before Cincinnati. So did Logan Thomas, which is why I feel good about him moving forward. Terry's the one that seems, of the three, if you just go by those hints, he seems to be the one that's most in jeopardy to play in week one. But until I hear from Rivera or the staff or the trainers about what's really going on with Chase Young, I don't know. So I, I don't know how to answer it at this point. Uh, how do we answer the Phil Mathis situation? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be a big part of the rotation? Or is it going to be 91 Ridgeway for the first part of the season? I would guess it's going to be Ridgeway. Uh, right now, like as of a couple weeks ago, they had Mathis off his leg in a walking boot because of a calf injury. And I thought when the initial 53 came out, I thought it was going to be possible that they would put him on like some kind of like short-term reserve list to give them one, because they had a log jam on the defensive line. And I thought that they, it might solve a problem early in the season by putting him on the initial 53. It tells me that they're confident that if he does miss time, it won't be that much, but he's another one. We haven't gotten very many updates. Um, he's had a calf injury. That said, I mean, 
I wouldn't be surprised when they do this, what they call Cinco package, that Ridgeway's out there anyway, even if he is healthy. So I, I don't know that, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the pecking order is. We know who the starting defensive tackles are. And when they go 5D linemen, they seem very comfortable with Ridgeway in there. So I'm not sure what Mathis's role is yet. And then, you know, first things first, you got to clarify how healthy he is. All right. Last two uh, for you. What does Ron Rivera need to do to be back next year? Man, I don't want to put a record on it because I really don't know the expectations of the new ownership. Um, I do think that Sam Howe has to be clearly and obviously the right decision. Um, Because if they did make the right decision here with that, because of the cap room that's already available to them, the world is this new owner's oyster to go shopping next year and make the team better than it is now. So I think Sam Howe's a linchpin. He's got to look pretty good. He's got to look the part, and he's got to validate Rivera's trust in him. Um, secondarily, obviously, they can't have a bad record. You know, they can't have a bad record. And I think that goes back to each of the first three years, they've had really slow starts. The schedule does not set up for them to have that, especially in week one. Like, I, I know how you are, you know, like, you don't want to take I, – I don't want to take anything for granted. I think when you – what I said to my producer, Mike Cal, I said the other day, because he's like, this is a layup playing the Cardinals. And I said, when was the last time the Commanders had a winning record in the regular season? And he couldn't answer that question off the top of his head. And I said, any team that you can't remember the last time they had a winning record is saying they have a layup against anybody, it's fool's gold. Like, you're crazy to say that. Now, I believe they've walked into a pretty good situation here for a week one opponent to get off to the right start. And week two is getting interesting by the day, too, as they've had prominent injuries, and we don't know what they are. So it feels like you know, there's a real opportunity to start fast for the first time under Rivera. And if they are 2-0 and and they get Buffalo here, they get a very early season show-me game at home to see if they are better than people expect that they're going to be. And then we'll see where it goes after that. I don't know what the record needs to be for him to keep his job. I have not heard of expectations. I don't think the ownership is going to put those type of expectations, but I think how doing well, this team either being in the hunt for the division or at least making the playoffs would seemingly matter. And what do they look like at the end of the year? Do they look like they're a team that's trending? Did they stumble into a wild card? I think all of that's going to go into it. But at this point, it's hard for me to really answer the question other than to take an educated guess. All right. uh, Last one. How many games do they win this year? Uh, I think it's nine, and I'm hoping they catch a break somewhere because they play so many close games that it's ten. Um, I do not think they will have a worse record than they did a year ago. I know all the national pundits feel that way, but I don't. It will, to me, and you're going to laugh at me too because you always make fun of like talking about the schedule when it comes to the end of the season, but it certainly looks like, at least on paper right now, two Dallas games, a 49ers game, a Jets game, and a Dolphins game as five of their last six. They better, as Eddie Jordan said, harvest those nuts early. (laughs) Because if they have to win a lot of those games late, I think it's going to be a big task. At least that's what it looks like. And we don't know what's going to happen, but that's what it looks like on paper right now, that it's going to be really hard to win a lot of those games at the end. So once we get through the first four, in the middle of the season, are a lot of teams that are, and I think this is fair, on their level, the Bears, the Falcons, the Giants, the Seahawks, like, win more of those games than you lose, maybe a couple more than you lose, 
with a couple more of those really close games that you're consistently in, and then we're sitting in a Week 18 game where maybe they can get to 10. And in the NFC, I think 10 is good enough to get into the playoffs this year. Yeah, and as Callo told you, you got to make those layups, which means you got to beat Arizona. Uh, I yeah. actually think this is a pressure opener for them because the Cardinals are per- perceived to be so god awful terrible. Uh, and yeah. and it's you know as we know, this is kind of a celebratory moment in this season opener. There's going to be a big crowd, probably a sellout. Um, all Washington fans for the first time in a long time, first game in 24 years without Snyder. Um, that's a big game for the business, short-term business, not long-term, because we're not we're not going anywhere now. There's a long honeymoon period now that Dan's gone, but man, it would really help them out a lot if they won that game. You want, you want me to tell you, like since we started with you know what's different in year four calling the game. I am anticipating this will be, bar none, not close, the best crowd we've had at FedEx Field in my time calling the game and in a long time just covering the team. I am expecting an extremely partial, loud, energetic, passionate, burgundy and gold group of people at FedEx Field. And we have not had that in a very long time. So I'm very excited to see what that stadium looks like for that opener. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was it wasn't that bad for the Chargers opener a couple of years ago. You know, with first game back after the pandemic. This. I'm sorry. It's not going to be this. It's not going to be this. It, 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 yeah, no, I, I, I'm, nothing, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, um, and, and like, and you know, like what I'm waiting to see is, and I think it could take some time. Like, I think, like I'm hoping we're going to see because this is a non-premier team. They don't look like they're going to be good. They don't travel a lot of fans. So, you know, the reality is, for the last few years, especially our building was extremely accessible, which is why people could buy tickets and show up. I have a funny feeling you're going to see a lot of people in blue against Buffalo because those fans travel. It's a prime team, and you know, it wasn't that long ago that this building was still extremely accessible. So I think it could take a year or two to flip the stadium back to being burgundy and gold constantly for every game, but I think this will be a good start. And I do hope that the team kind of rides the momentum of it. They've talked so much about it. You know, they feel it too. You know, like we all feel it. We all know it. Things have changed. Walk around town, you see what's happening. The energy around it. Sponsors are back. Like, people were doing the wave at the end of a third preseason game. That was a pretty good crowd at the end of a third preseason game. People are into it, but they got to reward them, which is why I agree it's a pressure-packed game because they're supposed to win. They're going to be a heavy favorite. That team's going to play either a completely inexperienced quarterback or a guy who showed up yesterday. You have to win this game. And honestly, with that crowd, you kind of have to win big. Send a message. Yeah, and then go in. You mentioned week two at Denver, and there there are a bunch of question marks there. And so, you know, you could you you have a chance. You have a chance to start the season off quickly, as you described, and they'll need to do that. Um, you know, just I don't know how the the end of the season shakes out, but just to keep the this feel good momentum you know, going, uh, going in a big direction forward. It, it's not going to stop because Dan's gone and people are going to give these guys time to fix everything, but it would be really beneficial for them and everybody out there if they got off to a start that gave people, uh, you know, some hope for this first season without Dan. Um, I got to tell you, if Hal is an answer, Kevin, if he is truly an answer for them, it's going to be like a rocket ship next year because – they're going to have a quarterback making no money, 
with $80 million in cap room to go fix the holes that they have with a lot of their stars already under contract. Like, this is a huge pivot point year for the organization. And, a hu- and if he's not, and if they don't believe Rivera's the right guy to fix it, even if he's not, then it's going to be a transitional year. So this is, there's so much on the line, so much on the line for what the real, like, short-term direction of the team is going to be. And, you know, like, listen, I'm a fan of the team. I hope we're 10 and 7 and we're playing a wild card game somewhere in January. And we feel like we got a shot to win it. And we feel like how's the future at quarterback? Because I think a lot of decisions for them moving forward, at least on the field, will get a lot easier if that question's answered. You know, it's an interesting way to look at it because the truth is when you don't have a quarterback, then any year can be a pivot year if you find out that you do have one at the end of that season. But the difference here is that there's actually some anticipation for a for a young quarterback that was drafted here who's on a rookie deal. So there aren't a lot of those situations around the league. Desmond Ritter is an example of one. Um, I think Pittsburgh feels they already have their answer. And Kenny Pickett, we'll see. Uh, he played well at the end of last year. Um, but if Sam Howell turns out to be what you think the over-under number for this year should be, which is you know somewhere in the middle of the pack, of starting quarterbacks in the NFL, um, then yes, it will it will mark uh, the first time since you know since at least Kirk was here where there's a feeling that you've got a legitimate NFL starting quarterback that you can win with, and you know I would add to this, and and I've talked a lot about this, and, and maybe you have too. You know, it bothered me when Ron kind of discussed earlier in the offseason that now they were going to focus on roster building when. That's actually what they had been doing, and they had been doing a pretty good job of it, actually. You know, I know a lot of the players that are really good, maybe their best players, were not brought in by Ron and by Martin Mayhew and Marty Herney, but they were kept here by those gentlemen, John Allen, Deron Payne, Terry McLaurin, and they do have a roster that with really solid to better than solid quarterback play, you can win a lot of games with. I, I believe that. Yeah. I, th- I think that roster is ready. I looked at the Jets roster during the offseason before they acquired Aaron Rodgers, and I said Washington and the Jets are essentially the same team. They've got great defenses. They've got great skill position players on offense. They just don't have a quarterback. Um, and the Jets went out and bought theirs, and Washington didn't, but you know is hopeful – uh, that the player they drafted in 2022 turns out to be the guy, and that would be the best yeah. case if it's true. It's the best case scenario. It's if it the happens, best case scenario, hopefully, yeah. And it does happen. And Brock Purdy was the last pick of the draft, and he's the starting quarterback of maybe the best roster in the NFL. So this happens, right? You don't know. And I will say again, I'll reiterate: like this is the most accurate quarterback I've seen us have since Kirk Cousins was here. Yeah. So if I told you that he's going to be something close to, and I don't want to, you know, he's not going to be Cousins, been around the block way too long, way too experienced. Um, I don't think he's going to have that kind of acumen for it. But if I told uh, you I would take it right now. You know I would. You that, know I would because would I love Kirk. That? Of course. Yeah. Of course. But, right. I'm a, but I'm a massive, you know, Cousins fan. Not everybody is. But the people that aren't, I don't think, give him the credit of being a legitimate top 10 to top 12 quarterback in the game. And if Sam Howell turns out to be that um, and maybe a more mobile version, which he would be, 
uh, then Washington's going to win 10-plus games this year. I just, you know, uh, Brock Purdy is needle in a haystack. You know, it, he just is. You know, you go back through the last, you know, 10 to 12 years, and day three quarterbacks just don't make it. Cousins, Pres- Prescott, and Purdy are basically the three, and Purdy we still aren't completely sure of. Yeah. Um, but, well, I mean, but Sam, Brady, yeah. Russ was a mid-round pick. Like, there's a lot of examples of this. Yeah. Like, it's not like this isn't that completely abnormal. And I'll tell you what. Like, I got to see Cleveland play in the preseason. This guy Dorian Thompson Robinson out of UCLA. I, I loved he's him. He's got something too. I loved him. Yeah, now, I loved got, him coming They've up. got a guarantee. He'll never play because they've got this contract with Deshaun Watson. But he's one of those that I looked at and I went, "Watch out! You have to give that guy an opportunity. You never know." So, yeah. like, I, I, I don't. I again. Like, this team has been in quarterback hell for so long. I don't want to put too much pressure on them. Uh, but I do like what I see. I like his demeanor. And, you know, like, you called Purdy a, a needle in a haystack. He is. In Hal's case, he kind of is because he's a fifth-round pick, but he really shouldn't have been. Look at his career stats at a Power 5 school and tell me how he got drafted, where he got drafted. It's all based on his size. That's it. Because he's a half-inch taller than I am. That's what it is. But he's got a requisite arm to do this, which is different than Heineke. He's got a natural ability. He seems to understand the game. And I'm hoping it's a fit with the enemy. And if it is, then it's going to come down to, is their offensive line good enough? And then that, I believe, is the biggest open question for the offense this season. All right, great job. Thanks for doing this. I kept you too long. I'll talk to you soon. Good luck this year. All right, see you. Good to catch up with Bram, uh, as always. Uh, Amazing that he is already beginning his fourth season of doing these games. All right, uh, back tomorrow. Tim Murray will be one of the guests on the show with college football starting uh, in earnest tomorrow night. Maybe, maybe an early weekend smell test pick for tomorrow night. Uh, back tomorrow. We went to Tokyo, or not Tokyo, but what was that? Os- other Osaka. Osaka in the preseason. Osaka. Yeah, won that preseason game, and... Uh... Uh, Mooch, uh, Mariucci, uh, the coach there, he said it's the first time he's ever had an uh, exhibition preseason game that the other team ran the score up on him. <laughs> we, we, uh, we were at 31 to 7 with about, oh, a minute and a half left, and we had fourth and one at about, oh, they're 30 or so. And one of the assistant coaches said, Coach, go ahead and throw it in the end zone. I said, oh, we don't, you sure? I said, okay, throw the damn thing in zone. So I think uh, our quarterback went back through another touchdown pass uh, with about a minute left. So Mooch wasn't real happy about it, but he, uh, they beat us during the regular season. Right. They played their varsity the whole game in the regular season. Uh, they didn't play their varsity in that uh, preseason game. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, 
and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash prenatal.